You're listening to Simple Ritz Radio, and today we're talking about pain. Did you know that chronic pain is often not pain at all? Welcome to Simple Roots Radio with Alexa Schirm. Alexa believes that simplicity in life is the key to achieving true and lasting health. A nutritionist by trade, Alexa has rebelled against common misconceptions about nutrition and has created a realistic health style that will allow you to live a healthy, satisfied, and more simplistic life. It's raw, it's real, it's unfiltered. It's Simple Roots Radio. And now your host, Alexa Schirm. Welcome back to this podcast. I'm your host, Alexa. And as always, I just wanted to remind you that this show is dedicated to simplifying your health, allowing you to live with more purpose, more joy, and ultimately achieve the lasting health you've been looking for. While it seems complex and overwhelming, my passion is to break it down into the basics and help you live a simplistic and healthy life that you enjoy. This includes helping you overcome pain for good. Today, I'm excited to share that we have Dr. Joe Tata on the show. Dr. Tata is a doctor of physical therapy, a board-certified nutrition specialist, and functional medicine practitioner with a specialty in treating people with persistent pain, metabolic, and autoimmune health issues. He is the author of the book, Heal Your Pain Now, a revolutionary program to reset your body and your brain for a pain-free life. He takes on a new perspective to pain and one that could actually help you to heal once and for all. Today on the show, I'll be asking Dr. Tata about the misconceptions to pain, the effect of our mindset on our pain, and how to overcome chronic pain for good and live in health. I think the topic of chronic pain is one that hits home to some and yet is so fascinating. What is just one thought of as we just have to work to manage our pain, that can all be put to rest and we're going to learn how to overcome your pain once and for all. But before we get to the show, I just wanted to take a minute to tell you thank you, thank you, thank you for sticking around this summer series. We're about ready to wrap it up with just one more show. And I'm not going to give you any hints about what it is, but I know you're going to want to stay tuned to find out. Also, I wanted to tell you thank you so much for taking a minute to rate and review the show. Because of you, we are still hitting the charts on New and Noteworthy, and I honestly can't thank you enough for it. If you haven't taken a few minutes to rate and review the show on iTunes, I would love for you to take one minute today to do that. To leave an honest rating and review, head on over to simplerootswellness.com review and leave your honest feedback. I would love to know what you're loving about the show and what you'd like to see in the future. Again, these ratings and review are the lifeblood of the show, and it can only happen when you head on over and leave one review today. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. And now, let's get right to the show. So welcome to the show, Dr. Joe. I'm so excited to have you on and learn about pain, a topic that so many people suffer with and yet so few have answers to. So I can't wait to dig in and get started, but I just wanted to welcome you here to the show. Thanks, Alexa. I'm happy to be here, and I'm excited to talk about how we can heal chronic pain naturally. Yeah. I think the topic is so broad and so wide, and you have a book that really uncovers this, but I really just want to break down pain because, like I said, it's such a broad topic, and some not even really knowing how to identify it. Can you tell us what pain really is and what it means for each of us? I can. It's a wonderful place to start the podcast off because part of alleviating your pain is actually learning exactly what it is and yeah. what it is what it isn't. So in a really simple one one liner, pain is about protection. So whenever you feel pain, it's your body, actually it's your brain's response. It's your brain's way of telling you that something is wrong, something's in danger, you need to be protected in some way. 
Now, there are actually two different types of pain. There's acute pain and there's chronic pain. Mm -hmm. Acute pain is that pain that we all know really well, Alexa. It's that pain when you're, when you're a little kid and you're running and you fall and you slip your knee and you have a little cut on your knee. It's the pain that happens when you fall and you break an arm or a leg and you obviously have a fracture. It's the pain that happens from a, a torn ligament or a torn muscle or a torn tendon. So that's acute pain. And you know as a nutritionist that the body has a wonderful way to heal itself. It's called the inflammatory response. Right. And that inflammatory response is necessary and it's very beneficial and it's also, it's also predictive, meaning it has a, a time frame. So if you have a little cut on your knee, that acute pain will heal within about 10 or 14 days. If you have a larger injury, that broken bone or that, that torn ligament, it could take upwards of, of three months. But the take-home point with acute pain is that no matter what injury you have, within three months, your body will heal that tissue, heal that injury through the inflammatory response. Now, as your body heals, the swelling will go away, the redness will go away, and your pain will go away. Chronic pain is something that's very, very different. Chronic pain is pain that persists beyond the normal phases of healing, so beyond that three-month period of time. Mm -hmm. And it's less about the actual changes in your body, the, the physical changes, though there are physical changes as well, but it becomes more about why the brain has persisted in this chronic pain state, why the brain has persisted in creating pain as a way to alarm you that something may be wrong. So each of us should be able to distinguish the difference between those, but percentage-wise, is there a lot of people who are struggling with chronic pain? Yeah, in the United States of America, we're in the midst of a chronic pain epidemic. We have about 100 million people who mm -hmm. struggle with chronic pain. Probably about half of those have some type of autoimmune basis to, to their pain, which is inflammatory. Mm -hmm. uh, the other half may or may not have that, and we can talk more about that on the show. And along with our chronic pain epidemic, we, of course, now have an opioid epidemic mm -hmm. where we have turned toward narcotic painkillers or opioid painkillers as the first line of treatment for those with chronic pain. And we know through research as well as clinical practice that these medications do not work for chronic pain. That's interesting. Can you dig into a little bit about why we turn to those then and really what that looks like then? What What is that natural approach or what is the basis for like getting to the root of, of pain and dealing with that? I can. So the, the first response to your, your question is that we have a wonderful healthcare system for treating acute pain. Is so that where those opiates would come into play then? Like acute absolutely, pain? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Opioids have their place with acute pain. They're wonderful. So if you were in an accident or you're, you just had a surgery, if you're post-surgical mm -hmm. or if you, if you fracture something, opioids have their place there and they work very, very well. The challenge comes when we look at chronic pain, and opioids do not work well for chronic pain. In fact, they cause addiction, they cause dependence, and they could even cause something called opioid-induced hyperalgesia, which is basically a fancy word or a fancy term that explains that the more opioids you take, or for the, or the longer you take them, the more likely it is that your pain is going to become worse, actually. Mm. So is it just because there's a difference in the brain structure going on between acute pain and chronic pain? Is that why the difference in why opiates work for acute pain and not chronic pain? That's right. There are many, many different things that go on with chronic pain. And chronic pain really is what they call a biopsychosocial phenomena. So it's kind of a fancy word, but it mm -hmm. just means that with chronic pain, there are things that are happening in the body 
But also there are psychological factors and there are social factors that all contribute contribute to someone's pain experience. Because mm. ultimately, pain is an experience that's unique to you. It's unique to your body. It's unique to your physiology. And it's also unique to your environment. So what you've been exposed to either in early life or what you're currently being exposed to in, in your current life. Okay. So when we look at all those factors, I mean, a lot of them are going to come back to maybe the brain or the mindset. And you talk a lot about resetting your brain in regards to healing pain. What exactly does that mean? So the take home message there is that when you have chronic pain, the brain and nervous system is stuck in a hypersensitive state. So in particular, there's a little part of your brain called the amygdala, which is kind of like the smoke alarm in your brain. And it goes off whenever it senses danger. The challenge with chronic pain is that it keeps going off even though your injury is healed. Why does this happen? We're still not quite sure, but typically there's something in your environment that has caused that alarm to persist. So it could be persistent stress in your life. It could be fear. Your emotions really tie into that. Things like anxiety, depression, sadness, grief. Fear itself is an emotion. Mm -hmm. Um, Your beliefs about what pain is. Many people hold on to beliefs that since I have pain, it means I shouldn't move. Mm -hmm. Or if I have pain, it means I should stop exercising or I should cut back on my activity. Or you may have been told, well, you know, your dad had back pain, so the back pain you have is hereditary Mm -hmm. and you have to be very cautious of your back. There's so many different beliefs and factors that weigh in on the brain's decision to create pain or to shut that pain response off. So when we start to work with people with chronic pain, the first, the, the very, very first lesson, which is what we're talking about today on the podcast is that ultimately when you have chronic pain, hurt doesn't equal harm. And what does that mean when we say that hurt doesn't equal harm? It means that the the pain you feel doesn't mean you're damaged. It's not necessarily coming from your joint. It's not necessarily coming from the cartilage or the disc in your back. It's coming from that nervous system being stuck in that hypersensitive or hypervigilant state. Wow. I mean, it's fascinating because it's so against kind of what we've always been told about pain. Like pain means something's wrong, right? But That's not necessarily the case. Is that what you're saying? Well, it's a good indicator that there's something wrong, that something is like a puzzle. And I explain to people all the time that pain is like a puzzle. And everyone's puzzle is a little bit different. And your pieces that are needed to kind of complete that puzzle so that you have no pain is specific to you. Now, along with those, along, so when we talk about this biopsychosocial model, what I spoke about just recently was the psychosocial. So that was your emotions, your thoughts, your beliefs. Um, the things you ruminate about in in your life. The bio part is the part where we look at, okay, do you have a sedentary lifestyle where you're not moving, you're not exercising? Are you eating an inflammatory diet or a a pro-inflammatory diet where you have inflammation in your body? So that's really the bio part. So when you look at someone as a whole, and ultimately pain requires really kind of this multidisciplinary kind of approach to it, that you start to look at this person in front of you and say, okay, let's look at your diet, let's look at how much you're moving, and then let's look at the psychological and the social factors around your pain experience and figure out why this is persisting. Mm. With regard to the social, and this is oftentimes people people with pain know this very well, but it's not really brought to the to the forefront, is there's an extreme amount of social social isolation that happens when you have chronic pain. So when you have pain, you don't feel like leaving your home. When you have chronic pain, you often have missed days at work or missed weeks at work, or maybe you're out on workers' compensation. When you have chronic pain, oftentimes you can't take care of yourself or the people who you, who, who you love around you. So the social, the social isolation oftentimes is 
the kind of icing on the cake that keeps people in this kind of persistent pain state. I want to get back to the social aspect of it because I think it's fascinating. And one of the reasons that I do this podcast is to showcase that health is more than just diet and exercise. And a lot of people fall there, but that the lifestyle component plays a huge, huge, huge role in this. But before we get there, I want to continue with the misconceptions because there's a lot of misconceptions about pain is what I'm learning. You've kind of named a few, but what are three misconceptions we have about pain and what is the truth about that? So yeah, we talked about a couple already. So we talked about beliefs that mm-hmm. if you have pain that, you know, hurt doesn't equal harm. One of the, the, the second biggest one that I love to talk about are imaging studies. So when we look at things like x-rays, MRIs, CAT scans, they're important to rule out what are called red flags. So red flags are things like uh, an acute infection or a tumor, cancer or an acute fracture. But when it comes to chronic pain, an x-ray or an MRI really tells you very little about what the actual cause of your pain is. And that, again, goes back to our earlier conversation on how in an acute state, those are those are necessary. Those are very much needed. But with chronic pain, it really doesn't tell you much. So the, the biggest way to explain this is when we look at herniated discs, which oftentimes if you have back pain, you go to see a specialist. They'll send you for an MRI for your lower back. And oftentimes it comes back with a herniated disc or a bulging disc or a slip disc or whatever kind of term they use. And the truth is all of us have herniated discs in our back. Upwards of 75% of the population has some type of disc herniation in their back, wow. but actually ha- but actually have no pain. Uh-huh. So I have them in my back, you have them in your back, but they're completely benign. And the way I explain that to people is that as you age, you gray on the outside, just like you gray on the inside. Mm-hmm. Or you wrinkle on the outside, just like you wrinkle on the inside. And people don't want to think about themselves wrinkling. But as these changes happen over time, slowly but surely, they're the normal parts of the aging process. And it doesn't mean that you're damaged, doesn't mean that you're injured, doesn't mean that you can't be fixed so that you can't improve it. The biggest challenge with imaging studies is when a practitioner explains to a, a patient and they hold that MRI up in the office and they point that hernia disc and they say, okay, here is the root cause of your pain. What that does is it causes a stress response in someone's nervous system. It causes fear to increase. And when that fear increases and that stress response increases, cortisol increases, and it makes that hypervigilant state in your nervous system persist. Mm-hmm. So just by listening to a podcast like this and people start to connect the dots and they say, well, yeah, I had an MRI about 10 years ago and it did show a hernia disc. And if there was an injury there, it should have healed within three months so that hernia disc is healed. How come I'm still having pain then? It can't be because of the disc. And that's why we start to look at the other natural strategies that that we've talked about. So busting the beliefs around what people have been told about pain is oftentimes the the best way to alleviate fear. And when you alleviate that fear, pain follows suit right behind. Yeah, I'm just trying to soak that all in because it really is fascinating, but it showcases what a mentality can do and the stress that that alone can put on our body. So is it, are you living in, in, in a pain state you're probably living in the sympathetic world more than the parasympathetic. Absolutely. Those those who live with chronic pain are in an absolute sympathetic state. And with a sympathetic response, we know that you have things like an increase in blood pressure, increase in heart rate, but you also have muscles that tighten and and tense Mm -hmm. up very, very rapidly. You have blood flow that gets shifted from certain muscle groups. Like for instance, the, the muscle groups around your spine 
the blood flow is shifted away from the, the, those muscle groups into the periphery, so towards the muscles of your arms and your legs, readying yourself for fight or flight. Now, that's beneficial in an acute response, but chronically, if blood flow is being shunted away from those spinal muscles, you're not getting proper blood flow, which means you're not getting proper nutrition to those muscles. And the biggest nutrition that we need for our muscles and for all parts of our bodies is oxygen. Mm -hmm. And when, you're, when your muscles are deprived of oxygen, you're in a hypoxic, hypoxic state, pain is oftentimes one of the biggest responses. So when we look at the incidence of spinal pain in our society, which is huge, it's the number one cause of chronic pain, we look towards, towards these factors and we start to say, okay, now I understand why the chronic stress in my life is directly related to my chronic back pain or my chronic neck pain. Yeah, it totally makes sense. You can see it all come together. So, I mean, obviously this is a nutrition and podcast, right? So people are going to be asking, like, how is diet and food related to pain? Like in this world, like it seems like very stress related. What is the take on diet and food? It's huge. I mean, every single patient that comes to me, the first thing I start them on is a whole foods diet. So mm -hmm. If they haven't tried any type of nutritional approach to keep things really simple for patients, because oftentimes people with chronic pain have a lot of things going on, they're managing a lot of different parts of their life, is get started in a 100% whole foods diet. Mm -hmm. And the, the way I summarize that really easily for people is if it comes in a box or can or made by man, <laughs> it probably has no place to be in your diet. And why is that? Because when you eat a whole foods diet, you're getting the, the vitamins, the minerals, the phytonutrients, the healthy fats, the healthy antioxidants that belong in, in your body, that belong obviously in your diet, in your, in your daily meals. When you're eating a, a diet of processed foods, processed foods are stripped of the vitamins and minerals. They're stripped of those phytonutrients. Oftentimes there are preservatives and additives added to those foods and those additives in and of themselves can cause inflammation. So to keep things really simple, that's where I start most people if they have never tried any type of nutritional intervention on their own. Many times patients have tried certain types of diets, and if they have tried it, then we start at a different place. So would you say that diet is a leading cause of pain or not necessarily? If it's a patient who is obese, who has diabetes, mm -hmm. who has cardiovascular disease, or they have some type of autoimmune disease, then in those patients, nutrition is oftentimes the number one intervention. Mm -hmm. If you're looking at someone, let's say, that just has chronic back pain, but they have a normal BMI, they have lipid values that are normal, they don't have an autoimmune disease, then those are the patients where you say, okay, let's look toward some of the earlier factors we were talking about, what I call the brain and pain factors. Why is the brain persisted in this chronic state of, of causing pain? So that's how I separate the, the two categories. Okay, that totally makes sense, yeah. And then going along with that, I mean, the diet and nutrition aspect, there's a whole other lifestyle aspect that goes along with it. So you kind of talked about the social aspect of that. Can changing one's mindset be just as defining as changing nutrition? Or are yeah, they yeah, yeah, it can be. And let me try to tie those two things together. Mm -hmm. So when we help someone with with chronic pain alleviate their pain, what we're really doing is we're leveraging the brain's ability to, to create neuroplasticity, to create new connections. The way you leverage neuroplasticity is through small little interventions multiple times a day for very short periods of time. So I may have someone work on their negative thoughts a couple times during the day, let's say three times a day for about two minutes. They need to work on identifying if they have negative thoughts and to try to root those negative thoughts out of their life. And as they root those negative thoughts out, you create those new connections and your pain will start to go away. Mm 
The fascinating thing to tie nutrition into everything we're talking about is that when your brain creates new synapses, when your brain creates new connections, not only do two nerve cells come together, but there's also often there's an immune cell that is part of that trio. And nutrition is vital. If you have good nutrition, if you have optimal nutrition, you'll be able to make those connections faster and those connections will last longer than if you're on a diet that is obviously pro-inflammatory or the standard American diet. Right. So that starts to tie together the importance of nutrition with some of the neuroplastic uh, changes that we do to help people with pain. Okay. How have you found that gratitude and positive thinking has helped in regards to pain? There's something in the realm of pain psychology and it's called pain catastrophizing. And it's a big fancy word, but it basically means negative thoughts. And pain catastrophizing are the thoughts that people have a chronic pain that go similar to this. I'm always going to have this pain. This pain is never going to go away. Uh, This pain is going to be the death of me. This pain interferes with everything. And when you have those thoughts, it actually makes your pain worse in in intensity. Mm -hmm. And it also makes your pain persist for a longer period of time. So having people reframe some of those thoughts is a wonderful way to lower their stress response. It's a wonderful way to reframe those negative thoughts into positive thoughts. And it's really simple to do. So what you do is you say things like this. Even though I had pain today, I was able to go to work. Hmm. Even though I had some pain today, I was able to go on a one-mile walk with my husband after dinner. Mm -hmm. Or even though I had pain today, I lost three pounds this week. And I ate every single meal at home and not one meal was processed. So it's really helping people with the behavioral strategies, with the with the motivation they need to start to shift their life in a more positive direction. Right. Just changing that mindset and kind of the, the subconscious about it. And it's interesting because I kind of went through my own healing journey this last year and I really got into the value of journaling and just being aware of emotions and kind of creating self-awareness. And I found on your site in a blog post the effect of journaling on pain. So can you just kind of further amplify how someone could take that negativity and flip it and focus more on the good and what journaling has to do with pain? Because again, it's just things that people don't relate together, right? We're so used to the medical world of here's a pill or here's a supplement or, you know, nutrition. And we forget that there's a lot of lifestyle components that can be just as beneficial. Yeah, I can, I definitely can talk about that. So negative thoughts to me are like thought viruses, they're, they're like viruses in your brain that attack your brain and make that pain persist. Now, there are two ways to look at this. We can look at this as a big traumatic event. So there are people that have early life trauma that causes their nervous system to prime pain to happen later on in life. And there, of course, all of us have multiple little life traumas throughout our life. We've all been through breakups. We've all been through letdowns and stressors and um, events that may have ca- caused things like sadness. So what I have people do is I have people work on their kind of, I call them emotional worksheets. Mm -hmm. And I have them take all the issues in their life. So let's say maybe someone has three issues. And I have them identify those issues. Did they cause anger and resentment? Did they cause guilt or shame? Did the event cause sadness or grief? Did the event involve letting go of love or the loss of love? And what were the lessons learned from that? And I'll have them journal each issue. So for instance, if it was, let's say you graduated college and you started your first job and you were super excited, you love your first job, you're there for a year and boom, you got laid off. Yeah. And you had no idea 
that the layoff was coming. And now you're, let's say, 24 years old and you have your first apartment and you have a student loan and you have, you know, maybe a, a, a roommate you're living with and you, you have to obviously be responsible for your portion of the rent. And with that, certain emotions can come up around, around those topics. It could be anger. You could be angry at your boss or the company that you work for and you may need to release some of that anger. It could be maybe you feel shameful that, you know, you could have worked harder. And if you would have worked a little bit harder, maybe you wouldn't have been laid off. Or maybe there's a letting go there that, hey, I knew that job wasn't for me anyway, and I had to let go of that job. So there are a lot of emotions that are tied into pain. And, and what's interesting, um, Alexa, is that pain, the definition of pain, is that it's both a sensory and an emotional experience. Mm. Mm-hmm. And working on your emotions releasing some of those feelings of anger, guilt, resentment, grief, anxiety, when you release that, you it's like a weight being lifted off your nervous system and it can release the pain right from your body. Mm. Gets you back into that parasympathetic, that rest, restful state that so many of us miss out on anymore. It, it, it's true. And so many of us don't realize too that our subconscious brain is constantly twirling these thoughts around day in and day out. And you're not really 100% aware of them. Sometimes you are. But most of the time, you're not. You don't realize that those subconscious thoughts live, and they stay rooted in your nervous system. And when they stay rooted in your nervous system, eventually, it's going to come out somewhere. And oftentimes, it comes out in your body as pain. Right. I mean, it's fascinating. You can just really start to see it all come full circle. And like you said, just starting to connect the dots to really put it all together um, and give so much more clarity on on things that we could all be doing in regards to preventing pain or dealing with pain. And so. Really, when we talk about this, I know everyone's probably wondering, if you're struggling with pain, no matter how severe, like what are some initial steps? Give me three maybe initial steps to helping someone diminish that pain. I'll give you the first The first big takeaway is if you live with pain right now is I have a great quiz. It's called The Pain Quiz. So you go to www.thepainquiz.com. And this quiz will tell you what the root cause of your pain is. So we've talked about a lot of things today on the podcast, but I designed this quiz so you would understand exactly what the cause of your pain is. So go to thepainquiz.com and check that out. For a take home for everyone listening, one of the best things you can do for yourself is three times throughout the day, work on some deep diaphragmatic breathing, deep belly breathing. Mm -hmm. It's a great way to promote that parasympathetic response. And what I recommend doing is you set a timer on your phone or on your computer where three times a day you pause. And I want you to do a series of about three to five breaths where you breathe in for four counts, you hold it for two counts, and then you exhale for another four. So breathing alone can be a wonderful way to relax your nervous system. A second take-home that I can give people a freebie that they can you know, do on their own is that as you start to realize that your brain is alarming you to a harm that really isn't there. Mm-hmm. A great thing to do is whenever you feel pain is to pause and think to yourself within the last hour to 24 hours, where did I have feelings of anger, guilt, sadness, shame, or fear in my life? And oftentimes you can start to connect your emotions to your pain experience and you can, you can implement the breathing there. The other thing you can do is put both your hands over your heart and just say, I'm safe Nothing can harm me. I understand that my brain is alerting me to a danger, but it's not my actual body that's hurting. Yeah. And just repeating that just repeating that out loud to yourself is a great way to start to retrain your subconscious mind. Yeah. Simple things that we, we kind of brush off or, or we forget in our daily life that even breathing is important for our body. 
So going along those lines, are those the same recommendations you would give to someone to prevent pain? No, uh, they, 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 they work one and the same. Breathing, when you look at certain types of exercise, whether it's aerobic exercise, um, yoga, all of them have an aspect of breathing involved in it. And when you breathe, you obviously have an exchange of gas. So you're breathe, breathing in healthy O2. But most importantly, you're creating that parasymp- parasympathetic response. Mm-hmm. So you're getting your body into that relaxed state. So often we are at you know, full force throughout our day. And we don't realize when we're in that state that our breathing becomes very shallow. It becomes very tight. And when you breathe like that, it releases more and more stress chemicals. And pain is one of the outcomes from that. Is there a percentage, and this is just kind of off the cuff, how often our body should be in parasympathetic mode versus sympathetic? Or is it is it really dependent on the person? I mean, we all are going to handle stress differently, <laughs> how about I as, suppose. How about as much as possible, right? <laughs> right. Like we really want to live the majority of our life in parasympathetic mode. But right now, so what I, sympathetic what I tell, would be overtaking. It's actually a brilliant question. What I tell people is if you have chronic pain, there should be at least one time a day for about 10 minutes. Uh-huh where you get yourself into that parasympathetic mode. And on the weekends, namely Saturday and Sunday, I would love to see you in that parasympathetic mode for at least one to two hours. Isn't that like baffling that we have to tell people to take 10 minutes a day to <laughs> relax? <laughs> well, the reason, the reason why I, it, it's so true, the reason why I laughed when you asked me the question is because when people ask me that question, my response always is the same as much as possible, meaning once you start to realize this, you, you start to look and say, okay, how can I get my body into this state? Because this is the state where my body's going to thrive. I'm going to have less pain. My health is going to improve. Your chance of cardiovascular disease is going to decrease. Your chance of cancer is going to decrease. Depression, anxiety, everything goes down when you get in that parasympathetic response. Pain is a, is a big symptom of, of, of all of those. But for me, I'm, I'm constantly looking for that now in my life. How can I decrease my my stress levels, basically? I feel like it that... And why I'm so passionate about this stuff is because that was so critical on my healing process of being a nutritionist. You know, you can do everything right in the nutrition field, but if you're still pushing your body into sympathetic mode all the time, you're really wearing it out. And my greatest healing was not necessarily huge diet changes because I already had that. It was really needing to be in parasympathetic mode more and almost forcing my body to stop, you know, to rest. Frequently patients come to me and they say, I've tried the paleo diet. I've tried a paleo autoimmune diet. Mm -hmm. I still have digestive issues. I still have gas, bloating, diarrhea, constipation. I've, I've been on three grams of L-glutamine. I've tried all the gut healing supplements and I pause with them. And, you know, very compassionately, I say, it's wonderful. We obviously need to continue with the nutrition, but what is your stress level like? And what traumas have you not worked through in your life? Because when your cortisol levels are really high. Cortisol levels affect your GI function. So it affects the enzymes that get released into your gut that help break down food. Mm-hmm. It affects the motility, so how food moves through your GI tract. And high levels of cortisol can also cause intestinal permeability. So you can throw as much L-glutamine as you want on top of there and take the gluten out of your diet. But if you're living in that hyper-sympathetic hyper state, Ultimately, we're going to have to work on that brain and pain connection. We're going to have to work on the nervous system to quiet you down. And once that happens, your digestion automatically will fix itself and you will feel better. And again, one of those things, like I I look at children as a really good basis for natural, more pure living. And look how much time they take for themselves. (laughs) 
a day. Like if we all just slow down a little bit, um, huge changes could happen. And it seems so silly, but I mean, we're kind of coming to the end of this and I really could dive in further and I really want to. Um, but for the sake of time, if you could give general advice on how to live a healthier life, what would you tell someone? I would tell someone to eat a 100% whole foods diet to work on alleviating their stress and about three times a week, find a form of exercise or play. And you mentioned children, so play is a big part of this. Find some kind of movement that is play-like play to you where you actually enjoy it. And if you do those three things in your life, I can guarantee that your pain will start to decrease, and I'd be shocked if it doesn't go away 100%. Mm, yeah, I love it. So I have a little bit of quick fire for you and just kind of a few questions, five questions, just kind of what you're reading, kind of those kind of things. Just give me a quick answer. I'll link everything in the show notes. Um, and then we'll have you tell us more about where we can get the quiz and your book and everything else that's going on in your life. So a few quick fire questions if you're ready. I love it. Let's go. Okay. What is the first thing you do every morning for your health? I meditate for 20 minutes. Okay. Do you do like an app or anything or is it just you meditating? I don't. It's just me. For the first five minutes, I do some positive mantra work. So mm -hmm. I, I work on some mantras I set up for myself as far as goals I want in my life. And then for the rest, probably about the 15 minutes uh, that's left, I it's just a quiet uh, meditation. Right. You're just letting be. Awesome. Okay. What's your favorite health book? Oh, boy. You can say Alexa. your own, but <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, my very favorite health book? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you a book I'm reading right now is it's called Polyvagal Theory. Okay. And I've read it once before, but Polyvagal Theory is very much related to that fight or flight response that uh -huh. we talked about earlier. Who wrote? I feel like I've just recently heard about this book. Who wrote that? His name is Stephen Porges, P-O-R-G-E-S. He's a mm -hmm. great person to have on your podcast. And he kind of brought up the theory of polyvagal theory that looks at how your nervous system responds in the fight or flight state. Yeah. So fascinating. So fascinating. Okay. What is the one food you couldn't live without? I only get one. Only one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say avocado. Oh, yeah. Pretty good. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Uh, the best piece of advice I've ever received is is around miracle work and and setting goals. And it goes like this. If you've built castles in the air, your work need not be lost. That's where they should be. Now all you have to do is put a foundation under it. So it means that if you have a dream, to hold on to that dream and then take the steps necessary to work up to it. And I think that's really important when we talk about health. Yeah, yeah, that's a great picture. What's the best piece of advice you could leave us with? The best piece of advice I could leave you with is that if you have chronic pain, there's hope. And there is a way to alleviate your pain 100% and living a pain-free life is possible. Yeah, that's like the best piece of advice after this podcast because I don't know. I see so many people living with chronic pain and you're right, they're hopeless. Like they've tried everything and and I feel like this just connected the dots and I'm so glad that you came on and just helped showcase that there is hope and that you absolutely can live a pain-free life. And that's how our body was intended and designed and um, it's pretty awesome that there is resources out there. So tell us more about where we can find more information about you and your book and what you have going on. Sure. It's been great chatting with you, Alexa. And I think one of the things that we did today is we created that new paradigm for people that they don't have to rely on drugs 
or medications or injections or surgery to alleviate their pain. So if you wanna learn more about how to heal chronic pain naturally, my book is called Heal Your Pain Now. You can find it on Amazon or in any bookstore. And you can find everything about me on my website at www.drjoetata.com. That's www.drjoetata.com. Perfect. And I will put all of that in the show notes as well as link to your book. Um, and I'll link up the quiz and the other things that we talked about in the podcast today. And again, you have been a wealth of knowledge. I encourage everyone to grab the book and just learn whether you have pain now or you don't. I think it's just a really good dive into how you can prevent it and how you can live the best life possible because ultimately that's what we're after. So thank you again for taking time out of your day, for being here and teaching us um, and yeah, showcasing what life can be like. Thank you, Alexa. I so appreciate Dr. Tata being with us on today, and I hope you learned so much. I literally had my jaw on the floor for most of the interview. The connection to pain and our mind and the food we eat and the lifestyle that we live is incredible. It just goes to show how much power we have over our own health. But I want to hear from you. What did you think about the show? Do you suffer from chronic pain? And if so, are you going to incorporate any of his recommendations? Shoot me an email or leave a comment below and let me know. Also, don't forget to head on over to the show notes at simplerootswellness.com slash 056 to get all the information on today's show, as well as some additional help on incorporating dietary and lifestyle changes to overcome pain for good. And if you want further help, or if you just want to take your health to the next level, I do have a program that I want to tell you about. It's a program that can set the basis and help change your habits for life. It's called the Simple Cleanse the one program that helps you allow your body to do the job that it was designed, the job of keeping your body well, functioning efficiently, and helping you to shed unwanted weight. This one process that the Simple Cleanse focuses on is detoxification, which some are recently considering the most critical component that we should be putting our focus in, yet rarely even talk about. Inside this program, you have access to over 100 cleanse-approved recipes, both vegan and non-vegan, a full meal plan, lifestyle guide, and all of the ins and outs of detoxification without restriction, deprivation, and starvation. I guarantee you will see results and weight loss, and it will change your view of health for good. So head on over to simplerootswellness.com slash the-simple-cleanse to learn more, or just find it in the show notes at simplerootswellness.com slash 056 and sign up today. I promise, in fact, I guarantee that it will change your health and it is at a super low price. You're going to want to join today. Again, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Simple Roots Radio. Don't forget to email me with one change you are going to make today. It's the small things you do consistently over time that add up. Here's to desiring better health and loving it.